from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Texas Tech Football Podcast brought to you, as always, by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, AJ Media Sports Department. I'm Don Williams, Texas Tech beat writer for the AJ Media. And joined as always by Carlos Silva Jr., our AJ Media Sports Editor. Taping this uh, midweek after uh, the Red Raiders coming off 52 to 31 loss Saturday night against TCU and getting ready to go to Lawrence this weekend to take on Kansas in a 3 p.m. game Saturday afternoon at Memorial Stadium. That game will be televised on ESPN Plus. And Carlos, uh, Texas Tech very up and down uh, to begin. Uh, Big 12 conference play opened with, by getting crushed at Texas 70 to 35. Uh, then went up to Morgantown, pulled out a 23 to 20 victory after a fast start against the Mountaineers. Got people's hopes up last Saturday, being a four and one team playing at home against a, an opponent that was, uh, I mean, the spread was two points going into that game. So it was a beatable opponent in the odds makers' eyes, but it didn't turn out that way as TCU wins 52 to 31. Uh, what was your uh, uh, impression from that game and what the Red Raiders uh, can look forward to? I mean, frankly, you kind of brought it up, Don. It's just like all of a sudden, it's just like anytime Texas Tech has a big home game or just a big game in general, they just do not perform. And again, I know I seem like a broken record. You can look at all the the, the big win over UH. I know before it obviously looks a little bit different now or maybe just the way that Texas Tech lost. But at least for me, I just thought, and you could almost hear it. I don't know if you did from the press box since they opened up the windows and such, but it seemed like the, the crowd was jazzed up. There was a lot of energy, homecoming. You obviously had the throwback uniforms. Everyone was excited, the blackout. And as you mentioned in your game story, it turned more of into a black eye for Texas Tech because on that first play, if I'm not mistaken, it was literally a big pop and touchdown. No, not touchdown, first play, 25. 25, that's right, 25. 25 yard run on the first play, 35 yard run on the second play. And, um, sorry, it, it felt like everyone was a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. they did score. The Horn Frogs did score four touchdowns in their first four possessions. It was like the Texas game in that sense because the Longhorn scored Longhorn five and five with a interception return touchdown in the first half. And TCU scored, uh, touchdowns on their four. First four possessions was near interception return touchdown in the first half. So those two games were alike in that sense, and they were alike overall in the sense that Texas rushed for 336 yards and TCU rushed for 394. Yeah, and the the biggest thing for me, Don, is you look at the numbers by Zach Evans, who Matt Wells mentioned it. I mean, he's a great running back. Clearly, they knew that. Apparently, uh, nothing really changed for the defense because – 17 carries, 143 yards, and two touchdowns, and that was only in a half. He didn't play the second half, and then you look at his backup, Kendra Miller, 12 for 190 or 185, pardon me. He was averaging 16 yards a carry, almost 16 yards a carry at one point, Don, and probably even a little bit more, and that's only because some of his carries, God forbid, he got stopped after three yards. Well, but those three touchdowns that Kendra Miller had were – 33 yards, uh, 33, 75, and 45. And a bang-breaking aspect of that was 75-yarder was on the first play of a series after Tech scored a touchdown. 
Yeah. A 45-yarder was on the first play of a series and put the game away. When you were within, you know, theoretically, you're still in striking distance at 45-31, and then Miller popped a 45-yard touchdown um, on the first play of a series. And that uh, it was pretty much night over then for sure at that point. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know how you felt about it, but, I mean, I thought there was a chance where Texas Tech could have made it a game, but that pick six by Henry Columbia, certainly one of the the rare mistakes he's made so far that we can kind of look at unless you have something more to add to that. I thought that was really where the backbreaker was because Tech was at least trying to answer a TCU uh, score, if I'm not mistaken, at that point. And all of a sudden, I believe it was a tip ball or mm-hmm. it was a little high by Henry, and then it just uh, was caught by the TCU defender, and he just went untouched to the touchdown. And I thought right then and there, not to say that Tech quit on it, they certainly – Fought all the way to the end. I mean, you saw it as they had a turnover on downs, I believe, uh, to almost end the contest. But, I mean, when you're down 38 to 10, you're not really giving yourself a chance to win in a football game at halftime. 35-10 at halftime. 35-10, sorry. I don't know that uh, – I'm not sure necessarily that the – well, the was backbreaker from the standpoint is it was a 14-7 to game at that time. So, you could yep. uh, theoretically – Pardon me, 21 to 7 game at that time. It's 21 to 7 game at that time. So theoretically, you go down, score a touchdown, 21 14. But then uh, Columbia throws the ball a little bit high, does hit Miles Price in the hands, uh, goes off his hands for the pick six. Kind of fault of both. Could have been caught, but it also could have been thrown better. Yeah. Point in 28 7. And, uh, and you also, of course, had no sense that the defense was going to stop. The Horn Frogs. Now, I could say this, too, because I know you mentioned this in uh, your kind of five takeaways, or I think it was even the game story, too. But Texas Tech still had a chance, even though they did have that terrible interception, 28-7. They still could have gotten it to 28-14. But if I'm not mistaken, I think that next drive, uh, they had the big Mason Tharp, uh, uh, at least at the time. 41-yard. Yeah, 41-yard. Yeah, 41-yarder, and then all of a sudden that was – Negated, they they ended up still driving the ball, but that ended up being a three-point field goal by Jonathan Garibay, which is good that he made it, but the bad thing was at that point, I mean, you really needed touchdowns, and I think that could have also been the other game-changing part because right after that, they scored the touchdown in halftime at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, so now the Raptors uh, at four and two, one of the uh, – you know, one of the drawbacks to that was that you, you, you at this time last week you could look at the schedule and say, okay, here's the opportunity. Yeah, you got a home game. You're coming off a win. You have a home game against an opponent that's beatable, and then you go play Kansas. And so, you could have uh, gotten bowl eligibility out of the way <clears throat> by you know this weekend. Going to be going to be six and two. This weekend, yeah, didn't happen didn't happen. Now, uh, now you pretty much got to win this weekend, and I think uh, it didn't probably your next best opportunity to get bowl eligible is probably going to be the week after that against Kansas State because you got K State at home. So now the pressure's on. Get win number five this Saturday, and got to get win number six next Saturday because after that, uh, I, I think the, I think K State is probably the opponent that at least odds wise, you're going to be given the best remaining chance to beat 
after this weekend because then you have the, you know, then you finish with Oklahoma, Iowa State. I know Iowa State's been down, but they still have ton- mm-hmm. have their, all the name guys, most all of the big name guys that you know that you've heard for the last couple of years, including a pretty good running back in Brees Hall. But it seems like every Big Twelve team has a good running back going into the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and then you have uh, then you close against Oklahoma State and Baylor, which I'm not convinced that Baylor is legit yet. But they're, you know, they're five and one, and you got to go down there to play them. So um, your best your best chance to be bowl eligible began last week with by with an opportunity to beat TCU in Kansas to get there. Didn't happen. So now I think your next best chance to get bowl eligible is uh, starts now. Uh, we, where you got to uh, sweep the Kansas schools in the next two weekends. If that doesn't happen, then uh, it's got, it could be tough sledding to get to six. Yeah, no, and the other thing too, Don, is if you're not able to get that win against Kansas State, if you're able to get the win against Kansas, I know everyone is going to probably say like, yes, you're the 17-point favorite, if I'm not mistaken, looking at some odds makers right. like Tipico and some of the other ones. But uh, I think just when you look at that, that means you got to steal one against, as you mentioned, some of the opponents – games you're going to be underdogs in, which has been something that you've been doing. And I'll even throw this out there. I know people don't want to hear it or some people do. Um, Kansas may not be as much of a 17 point uh, underdog as you think, because the last couple of years, and you've seen it, including the last, last one where Kansas actually beat Texas tech, they've taken them down to the wire uh, for lack of, uh, I guess. Two two years ago, Kansas beat you up there. And then last year, um, it's a 16-13 game. So, yeah. yeah. I think Kansas – I think the spread is right because I think Tech offensively uh, will be able to uh, simply outscore Kansas with uh, with your passing game and with, you know, Sir Roderick Thompson doing – kind of getting cranked up lately. I think Tech should – Tech should uh, uh, score 40 in this one, I believe. And and that's simply, I think, more than Kansas can handle. But this is again, this is a team that uh, is having a hard time earning trust. And you know, we could have said the same thing about Tech Kansas games the last two years. It should be a team that Tech uh, uh, overloaded and and was too much for. And and that's not how it played out. So I guess here's my question, Don, since you've kind of watched them. Obviously, you were in Austin. I was there with you at TCU. What are some of the things you've seen that have allowed those two teams to, I don't know what the word is, but just essentially run the football against Texas Tech? I know just reading Twitter and typically we ask for questions, but this one's a little truncated. That's my fault. I'll take a I'll take the blame for that. I was a little busy this week, but a lot of people have been asking, well, why, why do they go three down? And we asked Matt Wells that, and he mentioned, I mean, you have three down linemen, but sometimes you'll have a linebacker because you've got so many that'll, you know, go against the offensive line. So in theory, that's four, correct? Well, I, 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 have, I have about three different thoughts on, on, on Sure. This. So bear with me for a moment. One is B. John Robinson and, and Zach Evans, Two years ago, there were basically three of the three highest-rated running back recruits in the nation, according to the recruiting services. B. John Robinson and Zach Evans were two of the three. They make they're making a lot of teams look bad. Uh, B. John has, I believe, this is uh, eight 100-yard games in his last ten. And Zach Evans, I think, has six 100-yard games in his last eight. Um, 
and maybe maybe four in a row, something like that. I mean, these are big time guys who are coming in, who are young running backs who are coming into their own. They are what they are the running backs that they were built build to be coming out of high school. Tech's not the last team that they're going to uh, shred. Um, so uh, that, that's one thought. The other thought is uh, people have been upset with Texas Tech's three man front, and that that is the uh, uh, that, that and that the three man front is the devil. But three man fronts are common in the Big Twelve. Yes, uh, Virginia, Oklahoma, uh, and I did uh, started several years ago too, if I'm not mistaken, with West Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very common to have three down, three down guys and an edge guy who's somewhere between two twenty five and two forty. Texas Longhorns, another example, play uh, three down guys and an edge guy. One of their edge guys is two. One of their edge guys looks at two forty and one's at two thirty eight. Uh, uh, and I broke down the average weights uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and Tech is Tech's average weight across the front, three down with an edge guy, is uh, right there, kind of in the middle, average weight wise with Oklahoma's and Texas and West Virginia's. And we can go on and on. It's 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 not the scheme. It's your guys are simply getting beaten at the point of attack, um, and I think. Um, uh that that that's your issue is your guys are losing or are, are simply getting out muscled and, and losing at the point of attack uh and you can't have that i mean west virginia's guys aren't and they're lighter they are lighter than tex three down and edge guy uh texas oklahoma same thing running three down guys uh, uh with an edge guy oklahoma's edge guys i think listed at 240 and 235, and they can say Nick Benito is an All-American, so he's a little different. He's a little different breed of 240. Yeah. TC, I mean TCU the other night. Watch TCU. TCU plays with two defensive tackles and four-point stances, and the other two guys on the on the uh, line of scrimmage are in two-point stances. And they're, they're edge guys, O'Shawn Mathis and and Kerry Coleman, uh, Defensive ends who play stand up the majority of the time. They have two. They have two guys with their hand on the ground, and nobody's uh, talking. And, and they play three safeties, just like Texas Tech does. Uh, your players aren't getting it done. Now, can your coaches uh, adjust to that? Uh, I, I think they have to. I think the question then, then in their mind goes back to: um, Is it uh, something that? you have to make changes or does it work? It just doesn't work against elite backs like Robinson and, uh, and Evans because it worked two weeks ago at West Virginia. Um, you gave up 94 yards rushing, I believe to West Virginia. 57 to uh, Letty Brown, if I'm not mistaken. And, yeah. And Letty Brown had 57. Now say I'm not a big uh, Letty Brown fan. No, no offense to Letty Brown, but, uh, I think he's a little bit overrated when you talk about uh, the top tier backs. He's clearly not a Zach Evans and B. John Robinson level guy. That said, I think he gets the most out of his ability and he's been very productive for the Mountaineers. But again, you, you didn't really change the front last week and you go West Virginia below 100 yards rushing. Uh, and the other thing is uh, how drastically can you make a can you make a scheme switch with it in season? 
and I'm not sure that you can do that. That's generally something that you do in spring practice. Now, here's something that I guess uh, stuck out to me when I was watching this game, and I don't know if you were kind of watching this as well, but on some of those big runs, and I know Keith Patterson alluded to it, some of it was a little missed tackle, or sometimes it was just a player just didn't get there at times. Do you think it goes back to that point of you just saying they're just not winning those battles at the point of attack, or they're just not, you know, getting to the spot where, at least from what I've seen, just to kind of make it about as simple as I can say it, Don, I think Keith Patterson is trying to use a defense that is working all on angles. And if you don't get the right angle or if you don't, you know, as you said, exert some effort or win that battle, you're going to get to a point or you're going to miss the spot you're supposed to be at and you're going to be making an arm tackle instead of, you know, hitting with your shoulder. Oh, sure. And it's, it's also about gap responsibility and gap integrity. And, uh, you know, some of the gaps, uh, I mean, what, what people are not acknowledging is, okay, when you have three down guys, they, they each have a gap, but then the linebackers behind them have a gap, and then uh, you, you got a safety who's got a gap. Mm-hmm. That's gap responsibility as well, at least one. And now you're playing without uh, two safeties who, whose pedigrees at least were as good as any safeties that you had on the team this year with uh, Marquise Waters and with Reggie Pearson. Waters now down for the season, and Pearson uh, missing last day to day at least. And maybe, you know, yeah, and he may be next week. So I I think there's a lot of uh, missed gap assignment going on, compounded by losing battles at the point of attack and uh, compounded again by, uh, again, the quality of the the running backs that you're facing in the case of Texas running back and DCU's top running back. So I guess last one for you that I just kind of saw before we switch over to Kansas and we mentioned kind of the matchups and all those things. I know the last thing I really saw that people were upset about, I don't know if you watched this, but you kind of mentioned it now with a little bit of the analysis that you just provided, but what about the packing in the box or not having enough guys on defense, you know, matching up to the numbers that they have in the box, not accounting for Max Duggan who can run. Did you see that at all? Or did, again, is it just a deal where guys just either, didn't respect the gap or they just didn't win their battle. And, you know, once you lose your battle, it's essentially a number situation in that sense, because then you have an extra blocker that, you know, is going past you. I, yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And, and text safety seems, seems to me like do play uh, a lot of times at, at a pretty good depth from the line of scrimmage versus, uh, you know, Iowa state, another team of course is renowned that runs, you know, three down linemen. Yes. And uh, Iowa State's guy who kind of plays the middle safety, like uh, Reggie Pearson plays for Tech. Iowa State's guy, you know, Greg Eisworth has been all Big Twelve seems like three years in a row. And yeah, you know, watching him last year uh, or two a couple of years ago in a game here in Lubbock, he he was really close. He's a guy who plays really close to the line of scrimmage, or at least he did in the Tech game a couple of years ago. Because two years ago, Tech Iowa State at Jones Stadium, you might remember the big. Uh, the big uh, beef was Tech was throwing a ton of those uh, hitch routes, the nails, uh, you know, all, all those horizontal passes. I think there were like 16 of them. We went back and counted 16 or yeah. so. And, you know, part of that, I think, was because Greg Eisworth was, play, was a big-time safety, and he was playing at a depth of about eight yards off the line of scrimmage. So they were really taking, taking the middle away. And when I watch Tech, uh, they do that. You know, they do that some, but it doesn't seem to me like they're 
they're doing it as much as as other teams do. And you can make the criticism is Tech maybe being slow to uh, react to really a, a a shift in Big Twelve offenses, which for you know the majority of the life of the Big Twelve conference for twenty five years now, or certainly at least let's say since two thousand, since Mike Leach came along, the Big Twelve has been renowned for its passing offenses and tremendous quarterbacks and great receivers. And um, and so defenses, you had to kind of construct defenses that way because that was where teams were most likely to hurt you. And now it's reverted back to uh, arguably the big, tw- big 12 teams are more apt to hurt you by running the football. And uh, should you um, – uh, do, do you have to uh, revert back – to a defense that puts more guys in the box, to uh, you know, to stop the to stop the run first, to stop the run at, at, at all cost. Well, on that note, we can switch over to Kansas again. Uh, if you have any other questions for us, you can obviously add us at AJ underscore Don Williams or at CM Silver Junior. If you got any other questions, again, appreciate you all always providing the questions. But this time, just didn't have some time uh, to have Don answer. Uh, obviously put out the tweet and everyone answers. So that's mine. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to you next week. But speaking of running the football, Don, Kansas averaging 163.7 yards over the last three games, 4.2 yards per carry as a team. They certainly have two really good backs, one a homegrown back, both young guys. Matt Wells was very complimentary about both of them. I mean, would I be off in saying that probably the next couple games teams are going to continue to run the football up until Texas Tech uh, tells or at least shows on tape that they can stop it? Because, I, I mean, it's on tape now, so obviously it's got to be truth, right? I think it's what they're expecting. Um, and I think that's probably how Kansas is best geared to attack you is by running the football. I don't think they're uh, – you know, they lost some, they lost some receivers – they were – we talked so much about the transfer portal now, and, and Kansas was really hit hard with defections in the transfer yeah. portal. Because two years ago, that game up at uh, Lawrence where they won, uh, KU, uh, two guys who killed Tech that night with big plays in receiving were Stephon Robinson, you know, a 5'10 you know, guy, and Andrew Parchment, who was uh, kind of your taller prototype outside receiver – and now Stephon Robinson's playing for Northwestern and Andrew Parchment is playing for Florida State. And those are probably the two best receivers that team has had, that program has had the last few years. And they lose both of them. I'm not sure. Now, you have a young man from University of Buffalo who transferred in who's put up some decent numbers. But I'm not sure that they're uh, – as far as their skill position guys, I think they're most, their most dangerous guy. Uh, they're two most dangerous guys, I think, are – or Jason Bean, the quarterback, and the running back, Devin Neal. Uh, being a young man from Mansfield-Lake Ridge, Texas kid who led Lake Ridge to a state championship his senior year in high school. And in the spring that year, he ran a 10:46, 100 meters, which was third place at the state meeting, Class 5A. So if he gets out, you know, we were talking last week about um, Max okay. mm-hmm. You know, if the quarterback gets out, much like last week, yeah, you might say bye bye because he can. He, he certainly probably fast as fast or faster than anybody you have on your defense. And then Devin Neal, the running the running back, uh, 
has 264 yards in five games so far. And the exciting thing, I think, for KU about him is, as you alluded to, a hometown guy. He went to Lawrence High School and was a pretty highly rated recruit. And Iowa offered him a scholarship, and I believe Iowa State did, and Kansas State. So he could have gone a lot of places and decided uh, to a lot of, you know, winning programs and decided he wanted to stay close to home. And so he's one guy. And then uh, the other, the second running back you alluded to is Tory Lachlan. And he's another Texas kid from Rockdale, same hometown, uh, same hometown, same high school as Cameron Valdez from, from Texas Tech. And I thought, I want to say, I uh, can't remember Rockdale. Uh, th- they went deep in the state playoffs. I remember that for sure. Can't remember if they won state while he was there, but I believe he's a guy. He's a guy, uh, you know, dual threat quarterback in high school, and they tried him at receiver at KU, and now they have him uh, as a running back. But to answer the question, yeah, I think uh, based on all the yards Tech has given up in the running game, and I think based on who KU's best skill position talent is, I think uh, that. If I'm them, that's probably my plan this Saturday. Now, I will say when we do talk about the rushing attack, the one thing to keep in mind is Jason being the quarterback, as you mentioned, and Devin Neal, the top freshman running back, account for 70% of their rushing yards, so about 611 of their 871 yards. So certainly a little bit of a trend there. If you are able to slow those guys down, I think you're going to have a key to, as you said, Don, if, if you're able to slow those guys down, I think, Texas Tech does have the offense to absolutely outscore Kansas, but it's a matter of, will they start off slow? Will they start off fast? Will there be a, you know, a pick six? It, it just all depends. And, and I think that's really the, the, the biggest bugaboo for Texas Tech is they just have not found that flow early on. And I don't know if it's just maybe they need Sir Roderick and Todd uh, Brooks in the backfield to just kind of, you know, steady themselves with the decent running game. And then you play off the passing attack there. Maybe you go to Eric as early, which is obviously another thing that people brought up was why did it take a, if I'm not mistaken, a rollout on like a third and long or something like that for Henry to even throw him his first target in the contest last week. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, featured in that second half. But I think, uh, the biggest thing for Texas tech is establish the run game, because I know as you kind of alluded to, that's what Kansas wants to do against Texas tech, because the less that offense is on the field, the better for Kansas. Because as you said, if Kansas can't score in bunches, the best thing you can do is just keep, keep the time of possession high on your side, because the less tech is on the field, the less they can score. And that gives you a little bit of a chance. And as you mentioned, gave them a chance a couple of years ago and, and uh, Lawrence as they got that big uh, 37, 34 victory, if I'm not mistaken. Back in Lawrence, yep. yeah, the kick. Yep. So, yeah, I would, you're kind of uh, coming at it from an offensive perspective. I, I come at it more from a defensive perspective when you talk about Tech not starting fast. And to me, the big thing is they just not have not gotten opponents behind the chains early in games. For the most part, they haven't made uh, big defensive plays in the first half of games. And I'm sure there's some exceptions. You know, Marquise Waters was the uh, Interception return touchdown against Florida International for one, but but we've seen teams be able to uh, uh, and I've talked about this kind of on a weekly basis ever since U of H uh, get into you know get themselves into second and five and then third and two and uh, didn't get in on third and two it's fourth and one well go for it make the fourth down and then 
uh, get uh, seven yards on first down, you're a second and three, and you throw an incomplete pass, it's third and three, uh, but then you gain four on third down. And that's just been happening to me, seem, happening seems like to me over and over and over again this year, just not being able to uh, get teams behind the chains and, and you know, force punts. And uh, so I was looking at, uh, uh, you know, talking about getting teams behind the chains. I wanted to see where Texas Tech is averaging and, Tackles for loss per game, and they're they're actually tied for seventy fourth in the FBS, which kind of surprises me. I thought it would be lower than that because in my mind it doesn't seem like uh, they're 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 coming up with many TFLs. Mm-hmm. And game is is only five point five. So uh, you know, I think I think you need to you got to get that number up. And if you get that number up and make some of those. Uh, plays happen in the first half of games, then we'll probably be able to stop talking about the slow start trend. Well, the one good thing for Texas Tech is uh, you're going against a Kansas squad that is touting the fact that they've only committed 22 total penalties in five games so far this season. Not only that, but then you look at a Kansas team that has only allowed a sack in the last three games. So certainly I would think some of those statistics will change because Texas Tech, uh, at least uh, in several games, has played pretty pretty uh sound if you will i know there was one game where i believe they only had two uh penalties that might have been the west virginia win i think if they're able to do that i think that's good but yeah i I agree with you don i think uh the one time matt wells did say that he felt his team got off to a fast start was against west virginia where you score uh, you obviously get the strip sack uh, from colin schooler and then like you said it just kind of stacked good possessions on both sides you get a good possession from your offense the defense has a good possession where you get the stop you give it back to the offense and they continue to go i think there's certainly something to that but i guess just uh i guess your final overall thoughts from this one in terms of obviously we, we feel like texas tech should win this game but is there something to the way the fan base has been I know you alluded to it, but given a black eye, anytime there seems to be a big game for Texas Tech, is there something Tech can do in this contest that can make people or even the fan base just feel like, okay, things are turning in the right direction? Because I know that, that that's something you and I always have to li- either have to read on Twitter when we ask for questions like how many, how many games does Matt Wells have to win to you know keep his job? And you and I have all, always contended, and Kirby's told us this when we ask, and maybe, maybe he's saying the truth or maybe he's not, but he always says it's not about wins and losses. It's about can you show gradual improvement or just improvement each game and so far. And can you two, show you're making progress? Can you show yeah, you're Yeah, progress. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I guess what, what would be good progress for Texas Tech after their loss against TCU or just what would show progress just in general, I guess? Well, you, there's really nothing you can do this week that's, that's going to uh, pacify or satisfy the fans, you can you can beat Kansas sixty three to seven, and uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters to the extent that yes, you're one game away from being bowl eligible, which you haven't been since twenty seventeen. But as far as the traje- trajectory of the program, uh, it, uh, what happens this week doesn't matter unless you lose. It matters uh, only what you do in the last five games that come after this. There's no, there's nothing that you can do against Kansas this Saturday uh, that uh, convinces people that um, all things are right now. Just, 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 just like with Virginia, 
there was, uh, I think with a lot of folks, there was nothing Tech could have done against West Virginia to convince people that everything's fine. And they were validated because obviously they beat West Virginia and, we, and, and you find out, see a week later, no, everything is not fine. Yeah. Same thing, same thing here. So I guess just from that view, if I told you Texas Tech was four and two after six games, what would you have thought minus these two performances against Texas and TCU? Would that have changed your view or is, is, is there a certain uh, qualifier to what people have said, a bad four and two or a good four and two, so to speak, or even a bad uh, and six or a good or a bad six and six or a good six and six. But if that makes sense, I guess, in terms of the people you beat or just the way you, you know, win or lose and, in a certain contest, whether that's, you know, getting blown out by Texas or getting blown out by TCU at home. I mean, it, 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 is there certain qualifiers to maybe fans saying like, oh, four and two is great, but the way we lost those two isn't something that that, that, that we're enjoying right now. Yeah, well, again, you, you can't give up way over 300 yards to two opponents, but to go back kind of to the original question, um, had you told me in August that Texas Tech would be four and two after six games, I would have said that's probably a pretty good achievement for that team because I would not have ex- I would have expected Tech to lose to Texas, and I would not uh, and I would have told you I don't think Tech is good to, good enough to win all of the other five, and so I thought I, I probably would have said at that time that four and two would be the the best you uh, realistically could expect um, after six games, and that's where they're sitting now. And, uh, and let's just keep in mind the last couple of years, they've only won four games total. So let's put a little bit of perspective on that too. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, uh, working with a little narrow, narrower window of time than we are most weeks. So we're going to wrap it up now. Remind you again, Texas tech and Kansas uh, 3 PM kickoff on Saturday afternoon up at Memorial stadium in Lawrence uh, ESPN Plus uh, will stream that one live. I don't think it'll be on your actual television, but uh, please don't call me and ask. Live, yeah, live, live streamed on ESPN Plus. So uh, that's it for this week. Again, we'll have full coverage uh, before and after the game that you can read at Lubbock Online and uh, uh, and in the Avalanche in the pages of the Avalanche Journal newspaper. So. For this week, uh, we appreciate you listening in. Uh, For AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva, Jr., I'm Don Williams, and we'll talk to you again soon.